And welcome into the final episode of Spits and Suds in 2022. Hard to believe. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan, and I'm joined as always by EP Rinksides as well as Shapshot Sean Shapiro, otherwise known as our NHL guru. And hey, Sean, how are you? Any New Year's resolutions for Shapiro? Uh, I don't know about resolutions. Um, I, obviously, the New Year's always uh, is always a time to start fresh and all that stuff and everything uh, for me i always uh i always like to kind of use it as a uh as a place to kind of try to figure out to catch up on some reading honestly it's something where i always uh and i actually do a good job of it but i always try to like use this time to think about okay, which books did i read which books do which books do i still have to read and by by that i have a bad as a writer i have this habit where i i in a typical time I probably have like right now I'm probably in the middle of like four or five books where I have one that's on the nightstand. I have one that's in my office. I have one, like I just kind of will read a chapter of this one, a chapter of that one. And then like, as I head into the new year each year, it's always like, okay, let's uh, try and knock this one off before you add three more to your list. Cause I'm always, I just try. So it's not read more. It's uh get more organized in your reading. That's always what it becomes for me. Well, it can't be more hockey for you because you're a beast when it comes to making sure, you know, everything about anything having to do with puck. Well, as we're doing this right now, we've got uh, Slovakia, Latvia in the background on the TV right now over at World Junior. So it's uh, it's always always going. And we'll we'll touch on that in a little bit. First, we want to talk about a uh, impressive uh, road swing for our Dallas Stars, uh, a big victory last night against the Minnesota Wild, uh, four to one. And you know, uh, when you look at the score, you're like, wow, four to one. But this was a really close game, and. My highlight was how well defensively both the forwards and the defensemen played. And I say that because even Jake Ottinger after the game uh, pointed out, uh, you know, the boys in front of me made it a pretty easy night. Now, I think Jake made some terrific saves, um, you know, in a couple from point blank range. And I thought the flower on the other end had a heck of a game as well. Um, you know, it, Letting up, uh, letting up three goals really doesn't tell the story. Uh, you know, Mark Andre Fleury made some really nice saves last night as well. So, uh, but I looked at it defensively, and I, I thought the Stars did a really good job shutting down a a uh, a wild team that had won seven in a row and uh, can score. Yeah, and the Stars, it, it's to me, it's the element of um, the Stars were the better team. They. They, it was it was one of those games where it was like four one, but Minnesota. It's kind of a weird one where it was a closer game than the four one scoreline feels, but it was also a game where it never really felt like Minnesota was going to win that game. It was kind of it's a weird it's on that spectrum of close game dominance, all of that, just very weird spot. It kind of jumps around. Um, but what it reminded me of, honestly, just with Mark Andre Fleury was. Um, the the first ever game in Vegas Golden Knights history was played in Dallas and Marc-Andre Fleury essentially goalied the stars in Dallas it was like I think he had like 48 saves in the first ever game in Dallas and the stars lost two to one Riley Smith if you remember in that game Riley Smith had a high shot that basically knocked Ben Bishop out of the game Kari Lettinen came in and let up the the goal at the end that that Dallas ended up losing on and it was it's just it kind of it was one of those games where the stars were essentially getting goalied at the other end, 
But while they were getting goalied, they didn't let the frustration come out and take away from their structure. They didn't let it pull them out of the defensive structure. They didn't let it pull them into cheating for chances. They didn't let it pull them into all these other things that sometimes happens when a team is getting goalied. And that to me is a, that to me is a mature, uh, that's the mark of a very mature team that is does have some young players obviously but it's it's just a really it's a good it's a good showing of what the stars kind of veterans and some of their core really know about and what their coaching staff frankly kind of realized like if we're going to play our game it's going to work we don't need to pull out of that because we're not getting the uh the end result right away we'll get there eventually and i think that's kind of that that was my big takeaway of it where they kept playing that defense and they didn't start cheating away from it because they were getting frustrated. What was happening with flurry at the other mm-hmm. end? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Wyatt Johnston scores his 10th. He's now tied for rookies as far as uh, goals and boy, it's going to be fascinating to see if he gets to 20. I mean, that just this story alone just continues to grow and it's like, boy, the stars have something really, really special because like the game I mean, we have talked many times on this podcast about the the maturity level uh, of a guy his age, but at the same time, it's like, you know, they always say about athletes, the game slows down uh, for you as you continue to learn and grow and and, and understand and, and and just the world's ahead of Wyatt Johnston. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the 20 mark is, that's, I mean, it's definitely, he's, it's possible. We'll, we'll see. Um I keep waiting for him to hit more of the, not in a bad way. I just, just feels like a reality thing. I keep waiting for more of that rookie wall to show up. Yeah. Um, I think he's, he's had some up and downs, but the downs have not been really, uh, haven't been nearly as down as, as, as you, as you see for some other rookies. I mean, he's at now 37 games. Um, he's got, He's he's played. He he went the junior route, so he's played. He's played close to an NHL schedule length before. I'm really interested to see how he uh, how he kind of takes the next. Like that 50 game mark is going to be really interesting to me. Like I don't I don't think I think he, he I think he will play. He may I think he may play 82 games this year. I think he's going to play through it. I think it's going to be that. But I'm interested to see once you start to kind of hit those parts where we see there's certain walls that you sometimes see rookies hit, whether it's around like game 55, game 60. Um, I think we're coming into a really interesting stretch for Johnston on that. Um, and how he, I mean, so far he's, I, I would have said it about there's the 20 game mark where guy gets, where some guys hit, like he keeps passing those hurdles. And so I'm not trying to detract from hit all. I'm just literally just setting, he keeps, jumping over bars I would have expected. So you're like, okay, let's see if he can do this one and this one. He's he's already had, he's already been more of a success than you would have expected for this season. And he's just giving us a chance to redefine, to move the target in a good way to kind of watch his growth. And I think that's something um, I want people to take away from when, when I'm not, I don't want anyone to think I'm nitpicking at what he's doing. I'm actually, this is actually a, a positive sign that I'm saying, okay, let's see if he hits this rookie wall at 50 because he's getting the questions that you you give elite future elite players as opposed to just future good players. Jake Ottinger's goals against average lowered once again last night. Um, as he mentioned, he probably wasn't tested like other games, but uh, goes down to, I want to check this, I think it's 2.38. 
And, um, you know, I guess, I guess the question is, is with your experience, when, and as a former goalie, when do we start talking about the word Vesna as far as a candidate? Um, well, one thing that Ottinger, see, the interesting thing about the Vesna is very, and this is something that it's not a media award. And a lot of most of the NHL awards, the Hart Trophy, the Rookie of the Year, all of those are voted on by media members. And so you kind of get a, an idea for, you can kind of get an idea for where those are probably going based off of, based off of the kind of the media coverage and everything like that. Um, general managers vote on the Vesna Trophy. And it makes it very, um, it makes it an award that is hard to judge because it's an anonymous ballot for the 32 general managers. And they typically, historically, have always voted on on wins, honestly. It's been, it's been an award where historically, it's been based off the goalie who wins games and the end goal. And it's, and often that has kind of gone over save percentage of goals against average. One of the biggest snubs in Vesna history is Marty Turco, not winning the Vesna trophy. Yeah. Um, um, when he literally set the modern day record at the time for save percentage and he didn't win the Vesna trophy. And it went to Martin Brodeur that year, who was the wins leader and played a little bit more games. And so, Jake Ottinger should be in the Vesna conversation. He should be. I would put him right up there with the with uh, with Shesterkin, Hellebuck, Ottinger. I mean, I said his name, Shesterkin, Hellebuck, Ottinger. Those are the guys. Yeah. In, in Vasilevsky, those are the guys I would put there. But the guy who, assuming he keeps playing and winning games, Linus Olmark's got. Linus Olmark's record right now is 20 wins, one loss, one overtime loss. Yeah, I mean, as a 1.9. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have him as the league MVP right now. I I know that's weird with McDavid, but. Yeah, and and Olmark's been been great. Olmark's been great. Now, Boston is a tremendous team, and he doesn't doesn't face as many. uh, He doesn't face as many. He hasn't had as difficult as a season as Ottinger, and he hasn't had to face as many chances. But it's. To me, I think Ottinger, people are going to see, and we're, I'm going to prep people for this right now, you're going to be upset when the Vesna finalists comes out because the Vesna finalists are probably going to be Olmark, Hellebuck, and either Shesterkin or Vasilevsky, depending on how the two finish the year. And Ottinger is going to be the one that's going to be snubbed and not going to be a finalist. And that's going to be wrong. Yeah. But I'm just giving people a going into 2023 – You'll see you'll see the Vesna finalists come out at the end of the year, and just remember that uh, GMs tend to vote with wins and and goals against average, and 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 a lot of times some a little bit of legacy too, as well. It's it's so I don't think Jake's going to be in the Vesna conversation this year legitimately. I do I do, I will be interested to see where he finishes on that ballot versus where he finishes on the all NHL team ballot, because mm-hmm. that's kind of, that's, that's one that's voted on with a public ballot by the media. I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, it feels like this is the year where Jake has to have this year, like he's having 
He has to be snubbed from the Vesna ballot. It has to be a bit of a, it's got to, it's got to have some blowback and some public anger. And then it sets him up to maybe win a future Vesna. Like that's, that's kind of what the, unfortunately the uh, formula feels like, because sometimes winning an award is not necessarily an award for that season. It's built on a legacy of either career experience or something else where you're like, ah, we got that wrong in the past, which is, and the stars were on the opposite end of that. But when, when Marty Turco didn't get a Vesna trophy, he was a rookie. Every yep. first or not rookie first full NHL season as a starter. And it basically went to the guy who with tenure. So Jake is great. You, he's one of the best goalies in the NHL. He's a big, he's shown as a big game goalie. Um, it's, it's just don't get overly uh, tied into the award. If you're a stars fan, cause it's just going to make you want to pull your hair out when you don't see his name up there at the end of the That's some great depth from Sean Shapiro. I'm Gavin Spittle. This is Spitz and Suds. We talked about the defensive play of the Stars last night. Offensively, one of the things that I'm seeing that's a trend, which I love, I mean, clearly Flurry was playing real well, but I felt as though the Stars did a really nice job and more consistently than I've seen in past years is the, and Craig talks about, you know, why players don't go into the quote-unquote dirty area because that's where you take a lot of, you know, physical, you know, hits and it's tough to get into position, but... I feel like the stars uh, are making it a point to cause a little bit more havoc in front of the net, especially with their stick skills. I, I feel like it's almost like addicting. You see Joe Pavelski do it and, and with such a success rate. And I'm seeing Tyler Sagan more and more do it now and with his stick skills and obviously Jamie Ben getting into the mix. I, I just I, I feel like, you know, with their skill set, it's so great to see rather than in past years, Sean. I mean, I felt as though the tendency was, especially on the power play, it was like, all right, we're going to wheel it around to Sean, uh, to Sagan for the one-timer, you know, uh, from the corner. It's just, you know, I, I just, I love that. I feel like, you know, this team has got a little bit more grit as far as front net presence. And when you have a goalie, as I mentioned, uh, that, you know, was playing well, real well in flurry, you know, he can't see the puck. I mean, on that on that, sorry to keep talking, but on that, you know, Lundqvist goal, you know, that was a that was a screen created by the Stars, you know, in front. I mean, Minnesota ended up blocking Flurry's view, but I mean, that's a perfect example of you know you're creating havoc in front of the net where that shot um, finds a way into the back of the net. Yeah, and I think it's kind of uh, it's like a cycle thing or whatever, right? There's um, it it kind of also comes from a perspective of there's more of an emphasis on going there and there's also been more of an emphasis that all that any player from the blue line has the uh, tr- has the green light to pull the trigger from there um one of the while it was never necessarily the 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 op the directive from the coaching staff um there was a oh, when John when John Klingberg was a member of the Dallas Stars. There was always a bit of the informal feeling that John Klingberg's the guy that shoots from the point. That's not really our job. And when John Klingberg left, it kind of opened up the mentality a little bit more. Where like obviously you see Ryan Suter shooting from the point last night on the on the Sagan goal. You see Nils Lundqvist being uh, firing. I thought Colin Miller. Um, has been willing to shoot more from the, yep. is comes in and takes in has is willing to, 
to bomb shots from the point. I, I think when you have more of a um, to steal an NBA slogan, rise and fire mentality from long, you have more guys being like, okay, there's more reward for me to go there. And I think it's kind of, I think those two things are kind of building off each other where all three goals aside from the empty netter, obviously were tips last night. All three goals were built off traffic that way. And all of those goals are coming off very similar shots from the point, roughly 13 to 18 inches off the ice where even if it's not tipped, it's still forcing the goalie to do something more than make a pad save. And you get a tip on that. It's, it's going to have, it's going to have some chaos going up or down. Like I, I think it's, it's, it's really building to a space where the stars are being braver for lack of a better word to go mm-hmm. to, to, to the slot in the front of the net as a group, because they realize that they're getting rewarded as well. And I think it just kind of continues to build on itself and go through. And it's, it's one of the, and it's a, it feels very uh, playoff style right? Type of offense. Like it's, it's, it's the type of thing where you look at big goals in the playoffs, where they come from. A lot of them are scored that way. A lot of like, Yes, you still see pretty plays in the playoffs, but a lot of goals are scored that way. A lot of goals are scored in, in that manner. And it's it's a good sign that Dallas is is doing this. And um I the thing I like a lot about it has been the way you'll see one guy score the goal, but sometimes you'll see even the one like the the Ben goal last night, he has the initial tip, but even if he's not there, Pavelski's right there for either the rebound or it as well. Like I, I like the kind of the double effort that we've seen as well on it. Yeah. What you said about Jamie Ben on uh, Wednesday. Uh, so, I mean, he looks so fresh. I mean, some of the moves he was making last night and uh, you know, if when Tyler Sagan, uh, you know, got hit, uh, you saw shortly after that, Ben um, crash into the boards pretty hard um, didn't make full contact, but I think that was a nice message to the wild as well. But, you know, the aggressiveness as far as him getting into the net, as far as getting close to the net and everything like that. I mean, it it, it really is, you know, great to see what the captain is uh, doing. And uh, so now we're on to San Jose, Sean, which is kind of mm-hmm. interesting because the last time we played San Jose, the stars came off a terrific road trip and then San Jose kind of dominated uh, at the AAC, so hopefully it'll be different tomorrow night with uh, New Year's Eve, which is always a great night to be in the barn. Yeah, and we, I mean, we don't have to rehash our entire last San Jose talk because it, it's pretty much the same story with San Jose. I know that they came in and they they were really good when they came into yeah. Dallas last time, but but it's San Jose. It's the it's it's basically Eric Carlson is doing like he. It's hard to say a, a guy is it's because MVP, like we talked about awards earlier, like MVP is always something where it's uh, it's it's really MVP of a team that makes the playoffs in hockey. That's really what the award really comes down to. And so, but Eric Carlson is essentially dragging and squeezing more and more out of that San Jose roster than anyone ever should and could. Sure is. And it's, 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 it's fun to watch and it's, He's kind of a forgotten guy in the NHL because of, you know, San Jose's rebuilding. But, I mean, if you take the injury out, he's actually been a really good player for them. I mean, 
I don't. He's tied for fifth in the league in points. Yeah, like he's like he's got he's got he's got fifty points. He's got. We're talking about a defenseman who has two points, two less points than Jason Robertson. Like, yeah, we've got. It like, truly is, is fun watching him. And it's. I mean, his his numbers are. I think he leads the league in assists right now. He's okay, second in assists behind Kucherov. Like he is, he's doing a. He's must watch and he's uh I he he's someone who if you're a stars fan, you're going to want to appreciate watching him as an opponent. Yeah. And um but also if you're Talis, you take the lesson from last time San Jose came to town and you uh you don't make it a close game. That's no. just that's kind of, that's kind of you, you end 2022 on a on a note that is that sends a message of this is who we are. Yeah. And you don't, and, and, and that's, that's the message. And that's not a game that people show up late to kind of stroll into the building. Like new year's Eve is, I mean, even when the stars were struggling, new year's Eve was a kind of an electric night. You know, it was, it was part of the night out. You go out to dinner and then you go to a stars game and you know, then it's close to closer to midnight. So mm-hmm. uh, it should be, should be a fun night. Uh, so you're listening to Spits and Suds. This is our final edition of 2022. Excited to uh, bring you some great episodes in 2023. We do want to get to the World Juniors because Sean's been all over that, the U.S. with a uh, a big win. But, Sean, there's some guys that you wanted to highlight that the uh, stars, um, well, that are in the stars organization, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, the one, the, the big one for me, everyone is, there's been a lot of, hoopla about Logan Stankoven with with and he's playing for Canada and he's he's going to be a big part of the stars future um and but the one is to me watching it's been really fun to watch uh, Leon Bischel play in this tournament for Switzerland and he's been you talk about we were talking about Carlson he's not having like not point totals like Carlson's having for San Jose right now but you talk about a guy who's being dominant for a team dominating games controlling games and playing for country honestly that is pl- playing for in a little bit of overmatched tournament i mean the swiss they do they always do a good job they stick to their systems they they always they're always good for an upset or two in these major tournaments but at the end of the day the reality is they don't have the depth of talent that some of the that the that the canadians and the americans and the swedes do and everything like that so bischel has to play a larger role and it's been fun to kind of see him take that larger role with this under 20 team and think about what he could do. It's just, it, it adds to the future depth with Dallas. It adds to, you look at another reliable piece on the blue line, kind of where you're going with this. And, 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 and on top of it, like his tournament to me was always going to be more interesting than Stankhoven's because Stankhoven is playing on a team that has an absolutely ridiculous player in Connor Bedard that is lighting up the lamp and is going is the the every whoever who people think could be a top people think Connor Bedard could be a top three player in the world within three years. Like it's when Stakehoven's on that team with that guy, and it's hard to really judge his tournament because he looks bad at times. Yeah. Like, like just because he looks bad compared to like, well, compared to his roster and his expectation. And so Bischel's tournament to me is more fair of like, Hey, this guy, this, 
we can we can better judge his tournament. Stakehoven's tournament to me is going to be you take it or leave it at the end of the day. If he has a great tournament, you're happy. But if he's a great tournament, you're happy. But if he has a poor tournament or doesn't or kind of has the tournament he's having and everything like that, you're like, oh, it's it's okay. That's it doesn't really change. It's a short tournament. But Bischel to me playing for a lesser lesser team from a typical hockey talent perspective, playing a larger role as that defenseman, he's been get excited about him because he's going to be part of that as you, as you build and you start figuring and you start thinking like, okay, what's the space when you build this future blue line, who's going to be that young guy as who's going to be that young guy that follows as, as the, the Miro's and the Lindell's of the world start getting into their later twenties and stuff like that. But Bischel's going to be the guy that steps into that spot. And I think we're starting to see that already. And what I love about the world juniors is, I mean, granted, it gives these kids a great spotlight, but it also, I think, shows them against worthy competition. And not that when they're in their junior leagues, that's not the case. But, I mean, you're going up against the best of the best. I remember seeing Denis Gurionov uh, play for Team Russia. And one thing I love was his breakout speed, especially, you know, uh, down the wing and his power. And I said, wow. I said, this. I, th- I think this kid has a shot. So you know, I like seeing um, I, I like seeing those things. So uh, you know, one of the things that in the last juniors that uh, I thought Thomas Harley kind of struggled, and I thought to myself, okay, I think you know he needs a little bit more seasoning, which he's getting currently in Texas. So I, I think to see the players within your organization play at this elite level, I think gives us a chance to really see where they're at. Yeah, it's the peer group. I mean, you can't, you can't overly, you can't put too too much into a smaller sample size. Obviously, but it does give you the. And I, I actually, honestly, I, I really should pause real quick and be much kinder to Stankoven. Stankoven is actually has, he has seven points, but he's playing on a team with a guy that's got fourteen in three games. So like, Stankoven's been good, but it's just, <laughs> it, it, but you're like, but it's like, oh wow, like you're watching Connor Bedard all the time. Like I, I, I should have like no, like Stankoven's been good, and that's, it's, but it's just it, it's what Bedard's doing is insane right now. But to get where I'm going on this, uh. Small tournament sample size. Remember that. Use that as your asterisk. But also know that this you take away a lot of the other outside noise that when it that makes it difficult sometimes with prospect evaluation, where hey, it's a 19-year-old kid playing against 25-year-olds in Sweden, or it's a you're he's a college guy who's a 20-year-old college guy playing against 22 and 23-year-olds, or he's a He's a junior guy who's not getting a role because like it it kind of it's a nice uh reality check that can be to kind of give an idea of like, okay, these are the people he should be judged against, and it reminds you of that and it lets you re- recalibrate some expectations, which is always healthy. And Connor Bedard is gonna be the talk as we get closer and closer to um the draft. And of course, there is the draft lottery, so you know, tanking really is is not a factor because you might not get the player. Um, however, with the young talent that the Anaheim Ducks have, if they added Connor Bedard, wow, that would be, uh, I mean, honestly, Bedard and Seegers would be, would be a lot of sick, right? Uh, Yeah. Uh, I mean, any, any team that gets Bedard is going to (laughs) be, if, I mean, that's what's, yeah, that's what's so cool, Sean is, is that 
you know, every, I, you know, I don't know, every four or five years you start hearing this name. And I remember hearing Connor McDavid's name and, and getting mm-hmm. back to, I mean, I remember Sidney Crosby and, you know, these kids be the, the, the can't miss. And, and you know, you got it. You got to see them. I mean, even, you know, people that haven't panned out like the hype. I mean, Nika Hersher for, um, for New Jersey's had a great season too. So, um, I mean, he's, he's, he's the captain in New Jersey. Yeah. He's a good player. Like, like yeah. he's, I mean, like you, you look, you look across the, like you look at the bottom, like I just pulled up the standings. Like there's, you look at the kind of, you look at the state of the league right now and you look at like teams 32 through 26 in the standings. Like right now, the one where, just from a personal perspective, just cause you're like, I don't, I've seen enough of them in outdoor games and I don't like Chicago's 32nd right now. And you're like, I, I really don't want Chicago to win it. I don't want Chicago to win yeah. the guard lottery. Like I, I, that's, that's one, but you start going through the other ones. Like I'd love to see Bedard and Johnny Goudreau and Patrick Line. I'd love Oof. to see that. Like, yes. like that would be great. Like we talked about the ducks, uh, San Jose. Like I know they're in part of that rebuild, but you put, like you put kind of you get late career Carlson with Bedard and all of a sudden you're looking at building a team and our old friend former stars PR head Tom Holy as an assistant GM in San Jose it becomes a lot easier to start it's a lot easier to yeah. start selling free agents on San Jose when you got that um, uh, yeah I mean if you want to look but, if you want to make new GM Mike Greer look like a genius yeah <laughs> that's the yeah. way to do it by drafting Connor Bedard yeah, I, it's and then like there's there's a couple where you're like you see like Philly's gonna have a shot yeah. and you're like I don't like that's one where it's like I don't want the like I, I want Bedard's I want Bedard to play right, right. away. I think like, they'll I be go, I, I think they'll be too good, Sean. But one team that I would just love because it would completely change. Well, actually, two franchises. I hate to see it because they're in the division, but Arizona would be terrific. And the other one, I mean, you talk about a team for sale. If if the sale wasn't completed before Ottawa, but I think Ottawa is going to be too good. So yeah, I think Ottawa's the percentage gonna, is going to be low because they're they're streaking the, the, right now. The odds are going to be tough, but right now, I mean, Ottawa's like I'm looking at the standy right now. Ottawa's got, I think, I mean, Ottawa only has four more points than Arizona now. Arizona, I think, is on a little bit of a. Um, fake heater right now we'll call it they're getting <laughs> they're get, they're getting they're getting some really good they're getting some strong performances out of Vegmelka and everything yeah. like that and i think it's a little bit of a of a paper tiger right there on that um <laughs> tough barn but, to play in man they're playing well at yeah, home yeah <laughs> they are playing well at home um it's uh obviously i think from a league perspective like you're looking at hey let's let's grow this sport let's grow this game like You'd like, like, I would like to, I know people will, dis- I know some people will disagree with me. Like, I'd love to see them in like a Columbus and Anaheim, a San Jose, even in Arizona, even, I mean, even, a, I mean, it would be rough to, if you're Dallas because you won't, you'd have to see them all the time, but even a Nashville, like I, I would love to see kind of that type of player um, go to a market like that and just let us like continue to like pump the game up and everything like that, because how often do right like it's it would be it, it would i think it would be good for those markets um yeah it would be good it would be good for the game and um i i, I would love to see how it'll be interesting to see how the draft lottery 
completely switches the the mentality for one team because one team's going to win the draft lottery and let's say it was the ducks or say it was the blue jackets or whatever they're going to win the draft lottery and by doing so all of a sudden they will flip from rebuild to okay now we're contending like they're like they're contending for a playoff spot right away like we're gonna be you're gonna be you're adding that piece and you're gonna have three years of an entry-level contract where you're like okay hey we're gonna have to pay this kid major major money in three years yeah so until then that's where you start going like that's where you start going around you to those those veteran free agents where like hey we got a nice spot for you for two and a half for, for, for three seasons. Like that's, that's where you start finding that spot right? where you start, you start building and all of a sudden you like, okay, you can turn a team. Like, and I don't right, right now. My, my, my vote would be Hannah. I'm just because I'd love to, I'd love to watch kind of, I'd like to see some of the pieces they have there with Bedard. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd like to kind of see, see, see that. I'd like to see that from just a pure entertainment perspective, but I think anywhere, I mean, that kid's going to be, must watch TV every night. Yeah, I mean, just the scenarios you look at, you know, possible new arena in Arizona because you get a star. Ottawa sale, you get a star. And also, if it goes to Anaheim, the LA Kings have a lot of young players that are really good. And and that's one of the stories a lot of people aren't talking about this year is the the development of the LA Kings and and how well they're doing this year. And if he goes to Anaheim, the, the the youth of L.A. and the youth of Anaheim, I think that's a nice little rivalry around L.A. as well. It's, you know, so it, it's it's going to be fun to watch. So final question of 2022 I have for you, Sean, since we're talking NHL, is we talked about the Bruins earlier and the success and, you know, atop the NHL and look dominant. I, I was watching their games and, and just – you know their their continuous cycle, their their offensive prowess, their really good goaltending with Allmark. In the games you've watched, have you seen any of the style of Jim Montgomery from his days with the Stars translate? Because I'm fascinated. Because to me, they dropped one of the better coaches in the NHL, and Bruce Cassidy, who's having success in Vegas, and picked up Jim Montgomery. And all of a sudden, like, Montgomery looks like, you know, I mean, he was a really good coach for the Stars, but, I mean, like, this Bruins team is just hitting on all cylinders, and people completely forget that prior to the season, everyone wanted GM Don Sweeney gone. They had the controversy with, um, you know, signing the kit. So there was a lot of, like, news with the Bruins and, like, internally, and I think Montgomery's done an amazing job for them. I mean, he's he's done a good job. Now, his third line left wing is Taylor Hall. Like that's that. Like yeah. let's be like let's let's. I'm not taking anything away from Jim Montgomery on that, but just to be to be fair, how deep that team that team is, that team is deep, and the 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 beating down of fire the GM and all of this stuff is built a lot on kind of the expectation and the veracity. The, sorry the the anger the, some of the anger that can grow within the media market there so yeah part of that is um i i think we see like we've talked before where um i know the devils have come to down to earth quite a bit now um but we talked earlier in this season about how you saw lindy ruff kind of learn some of his lessons from his time in dallas and applied it to the devils and and everything like that and i think 
something there's a similar theme with Montgomery and Boston. Obviously, there's a um much larger personal lesson. I'm sure that Jim Montgomery has applied with how his time ended in Dallas. Um, but Montgomery also um one of the things that Montgomery admitted during his time in St. Louis, um, and now they didn't make him available to the media very often. The Blues aren't one of the teams that make assistant coaches available to the media. But one of the things that Montgomery admitted was he um, he talked about how that 2019 playoff series against the Stars, where they lost in Game Seven, and frankly, um, we're sorry where the where the where the Stars lost to the Blues in Game Seven, and frankly, the game wasn't as close. But Ben Bishop made the game closer. Than, yeah, he did, than it, and it should been it should have been. Um, Jim Montgomery kind of admitted after he was in St. Louis about how he was kind of. In a coaching way, he was kind of bullied in that series. He was, he was out coached, and he admitted he was out coached in that series. And I think Jim Montgomery's NHL game management has gotten better. I don't think his systems and stylings or anything that have changed. I think he basically kind of took a lot of what Bruce Cassidy did, had a veteran team, and said, "Okay, guys, we're going to keep doing what's working," and just kind of let the players be the players. And I think Montgomery's strength is he's become a better game manager. You see how he manages lines. You see how he manages matchups. You see how he manages things like that. Um, you see how and when he knows to uh, how and when he knows to apply the pressure or not apply the pressure. And the other thing that's just like they've only lost four games in regulation. It's hard to see. It's hard to get a true feeling for what a coach does until you lose a couple games. That's just that's just a reality of it. Like, like what is he going to do? How is he going to handle them when he when they go through rough times? Because one of the Jim Montgomery's traits in Dallas was when things weren't going well, he went through. He went he went to a little bit of the the public shame, the overly honest. I'm going to call guys out model. Um, you remember before the whole Jim lights, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan fiasco two, two days before that, he had a very loud, yep. loud uh, incident at morning skate where he was saying like, we're embarrassing and everything like that. He would talk about how he couldn't get over. He couldn't stop. He couldn't, he was struggling to reverse the stars culture of mediocrity. That was his quote. And the Bruins already had a good player culture. They already did. So he didn't have to change a culture. And I and the the pitfalls Montgomery had as a coach in Dallas, he hasn't had to face those pitfalls in Boston yet. So I'm curious to see what happens. What happened? I mean, and maybe it won't. Maybe it's one of the best teams in NHL history and it, it never happens. But <laughs> like, but like what what happens when the Bruins lose three in a row? where what how does montgomery handle it then that will be very interesting to say to me of whether jim montgomery is the same type of motivator as a coach that he was in dallas as he is in boston just because when everything's going this well Mm -hmm. like it's hard like you lose a game all right we lost we're gonna win the next seven like yeah that's 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 easy like yeah i'm so it's no i get it and you have you know when you have patrice bergeron who looks like he's still 26 on the ice Mm -hmm. um You know, I mean, he probably could play another three years. I mean, that's how good he looks this year. Uh, Marchant's Marchant. Uh, I think, you know, the one guy that I really like on that team, I mean, we're going deep dive right now. Um, you know, a lot of people were disappointed in Charlie Coyle, and he's had a nice resurgence, which is good because he's a hometown kid up there. 
Yeah, 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 he is. He's yeah. my my one issue with uh <laughs> with Charlie Coyle, and this goes back to his time. At least he's wearing a uh at least he's wearing number 13 in Boston, but I always Charlie Coyle would always wear a I think it was number five or number three. I can't remember, but he would always uh he wore a number that made him look like a defenseman. And so whenever I watched him play for the <laughs> wild, I would be like, why is, yeah. why did the defense, why, why, why did, why every single time do the wild have a defenseman below the, below the goal line? That's my only beef with Charlie. Coyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I love about spits and suds. I mean, we can go into a deep dive about the stars wild and everything, but hopefully out there, you listening want a little taste of the NHL as well, because Sean's depth on hockey. I love picking his brain with questions about like Jim Montgomery with his takes on world juniors and how it affects the Dallas stars. Uh, so we try to give you everything here on spits and suds. So when you get a chance, uh, please spread the word, download spits and spuds, spits and suds. <laughs> that would be an interesting name. Spits yeah. and spuds too. But uh, as always, my friend, happy new year to you and your family. And uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Next year. Yeah, weird, weird. But uh, look forward to uh, celebrating uh, New Year's with uh, Stars fans uh, with hopefully uh, two points against San Jose. So that's going to do it for uh, myself and for Sean. And thanks uh, for listening to Spits and Suds right here on 105.3 The Fan. Happy New Year, everyone.